HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by the New York Women's Culinary Alliance. Coming this May from Heritage Radio Network, the surprising stories of how artists, activists, and entrepreneurs collide in one special Brooklyn community that's changing faster by the day. I am 28 years old. I live in Bushwick, Brooklyn. When I moved to Bushwick, when I moved to Brooklyn, I chose Bushwick randomly. We recently opened up in Bushwick. All over Bushwick. Bushwick. Brooklyn, Bushwick. This is Bushwick Podcast, a series that takes you behind the scenes of how people in kitchens, shops, and countless other community spaces create New York City's most dynamic neighborhood. Each week, we step into the journeys that define Bushwick and break down the forces competing to shape its future. These are local stories like you've never heard before. Join us this May, wherever you get your podcasts. on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, May 15th, 2019. This is the 215th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a food critic and correspondent for a major men's lifestyle magazine, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip. And then later, we will have my speed round game. And for industry news today, I have a special guest calling in, Dila Allen, the executive director of event marketing at Food & Wine Magazine, who is directing the classic in Aspen. So I will talk to her as our industry news. We will also have my solo dining experience and the final question. And today's show, not necessarily in that order. So stay tuned. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to know your audience. Who are you talking to? What's your message? And why is it relevant to those who are receiving it? Your content should be in line with your readers, your viewers, and your listeners. Otherwise, you may lose their attention. So think about who your people are and then apply your message to them. Because without an audience, really, is there a story to tell? That's my tip today. Now, I'm really happy to have my guest calling in from what I believe, I think he's down in New Orleans. We will find out. It is Brett Martin. He is the food critic and correspondent for GQ Magazine, who recently compiled GQ's annual Best New Restaurants in America 2019. Brett is a two-time James Beard Award winner and a six-time selectee of the annual Best Food Writing Anthology. His work has appeared in Vanity Fair, Bon Appetit, The New York Times, and The New Yorker, among others, and on public radio's This American Life. He is also the author of Difficult Men Behind the Scenes of a Creative Revolution from The Sopranos and The Wire to Mad Men and Breaking Bad, and forthcoming, if I can say this on air, Fuck You, Eat This. And I wish we had a show just to talk about that, but welcome. Hi, Brett. Thank you. 
Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm well. Are you down in New Orleans, as I as, I'm assuming? Yes, I'm in New Orleans. One of the very few weeks of the year that it's just absolutely perfect weather down here. <sighs> yeah, I was last down there in July, and yes, it was hot. <laughs> yeah, it gets hot. But I love New Orleans. New York, too, though. So True. It's, it's, it's a matter of, uh, of degree. True. I love. I, I really. I New Orleans is one of my favorite cities. I any excuse to get down there, I, I will take. So, uh, what's what's your uh, childhood background? Did, where did you grow up? Are you originally from there? Oh no, I grew up um, in Brooklyn, actually. Um, oh, okay. Not far from where you are, I grew up in Canarsie, um, in sort of the deepest reaches of Brooklyn, and uh, went to high school in Flatbush. Um, Went away to college briefly in Massachusetts, uh, then lived in in Brooklyn for another 20 years or so before coming down here. Um, So um, I've been here about eight years. What prompted you to move? Well, um, the the proximate cause was I was looking for a place to finish the book that you read the very long title of. It um, is a long title. Um, (laughs) It is. Um, I was... um, I was looking for a, a place to finish that. I had, I had started to come down here doing some reporting after Katrina, or several years after Katrina. Um, I wrote a piece for GQ, still as a freelancer then, about uh, restaurants coming back in the city and, um, and had really started to fall in love with the place. And as soon as I came down for about, I had rented a, a, an apartment for three, jeez, oh, I don't even remember. It was supposed to be three months, and somehow I'm still here now, and I have two Norwegian daughters, and and uh, and it, it very quickly seemed totally absurd to try to move back to New York at that point. That that makes sense. And what about food writing or writing in general? Is that what you always set out to do? Yeah, it was. Um, it was pretty pretty clear to me early on. I, I didn't really know much about the, the world of journalism, but I, I had gone to um, Hampshire College, which is a, a school that's in the news right now for the wrong reasons, but um, but got a very broad education there and um, and was actually interested in becoming a fiction writer. I came back to New York to, to get an MFA in fiction at, at NYU, um, but I had, in the meantime, found out that I was really sort of unhirable for almost anything else, and I, I had started to piece together a a career of, of writing articles first up in Massachusetts. And then very quickly when I got to New York, I, I gave up on the notion of being a fiction writer. And, um, but I had all these government loans for graduate school that allowed me to sort of simulate a freelance career for a while. Um, and I was, I, I, this was sort of the moment right before the internet happened, um, believe it or not. And, and uh, time out in New York had just started and it was a, it was a great place to, to, sort of learn how to do what I still do now. And that's where I was for a long time. Wow. I'm thinking, yeah, I've met, I know so many people that have come from time out and, but I don't, I didn't know that you did. I guess we didn't cross paths with, with that publication. Our our original food team, as far as I could. and, And when I say food team, it was, it was just people who were willing to do it because it wasn't a priority of the magazine at that point. Right. But it was, um, uh, it was uh, myself, uh, Pete Wells, um, Adam Rappaport, and Adam Sachs were kind of the original guys doing it there. And, and uh, all those guys have done better than I have, but we're all doing, you know. Oh, okay. I don't know. I think you all have done very well. And actually, I do remember back when I first started in PR in the Adams, it was always like you got to invite the Adams to your event, <laughs> <laughs> as they were referred to. Uh, so, so that. So, so from there, did you, where did you go? Did you start doing freelance writing or did you, were you at another publication in house? No, I've never, I've never had a real job other than that one, to, to be honest <laughs> with you. I, I, um, I, uh, I left there in I, 2003, 2004, something like that, maybe a little earlier. Um, and, uh, and really essentially was a freelancer. Uh, straight through until now and, and until I signed a contract at GQ I don't know four or five years later and, and, and I've been on contract there although sort of technically freelance for, for uh, ever since and when was that what year did you start with GQ uh, about, I'm terrible about approximately I have, to, I have to think about it 10 years um, ago I don't know 
I'm it's guessing. at least 10 years ago. Yeah, it's got to be 10 years. Um, now, I wasn't the food. You know, the great Alan Richmond was there uh, mm-hmm. when I first moved over there, and I was writing this book about television, and I, I had a more um, generalist um, pro, uh, portfolio at that point um, where I was doing the food stuff that Alan wasn't interested in or that I brought, you know, it was part of my part of my portfolio, but it was, wasn't everything I did. I, and in fact, when I was working on that book, I was, I was doing a, a lot of Hollywood writing for them because I needed to be in LA a lot. And, um, and then it sort of naturally kind of evolved that as Alan, um, ended his tenure there, I, I was sort of the, the, the obvious person, I think, to, to move into that slot. Right. So when, well, how many years or when did you start doing the best new restaurant list? This one was my fourth. You're four. So, um, so yeah, so four or five years now. And how I want to get into this year's list, but how did how did you first go about that? And 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 did you? I mean, how did you know where to go? What restaurants? What cities? And and has your approach changed over the four years you've been doing this list? Um, yeah, I mean, my my my. Well, it's a it's a complicated question. I mean, the the the, the practical details are, you know, um, and I think that I think this has continued to change. But I think I think it was easier even four years ago. But certainly it was easier when you know, say, ten years ago, when you knew you had to go to New York, San Francisco, um, Chicago, um, maybe New Orleans, uh, maybe Los Angeles, um, you know, and and sort of a handful of, of big coastal cities. We're, we're going to we're going to represent I don't know eighty percent of, of of your list right. Um, what has happened? One of the most exciting things you know that uh, about observing the food world over this past decade has been the way that talent and and um, and uh, excellence has spread out from those big cities all across the country, and um, and that's both wonderful, but it also makes it a much more difficult job to feel like you're really covering the city the country in a in a comprehensive way um so i think early on i ran around like a chicken with my head cut off a little more you know faced with this impossible task of getting it to every new restaurant in america and um i have since sort of leaned into the fact that i um that it's an impossible job um (laughs) and uh that i you know I travel almost nonstop for for about three and a half months from mid mid December um, through uh, the end of March or so, um, and yet I still you know stay up nights worried about the cities I haven't gone to the the, the places that that I was on on a Monday when when restaurants are, were closed or you know that were booked up or so you know I tr- but I, I have learned to try to be kinder to myself about those places and, and realize that really what I'm doing is providing a kind of hopefully a, a, a larger snapshot of dining in America and that doesn't depend as much on me weighing in on any given restaurant. Right. Well, I saw in the magazine it said three months, 20 cities, 103 spots for this year. And that's that's a lot. I mean, 20 cities in it three is. months. It is. And yet I still, you know, there are places I wish I could have gone to. Right. Yeah, no, it's true. I know. I know restaurants are there. Used to be more that they were in the, the the main cities that you named, and now they're amazing restaurants everywhere across the country. So that that is certainly a challenge to get everywhere. I would imagine. Yeah, and and but it's wonderful. I got to places I'd never been before this year. Um, you know, Madison, Wisconsin, and Indianapolis, uh, Richmond, Virginia, which wound up with a with a restaurant on the list. Um, you know, I, that's the great joy has been the ability to explore more of this country. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. Okay, so let's take a little break here, and then we're going to come back and we'll talk about who's on your list. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by the New York Women's Culinary Alliance, a vibrant and supportive community of professional women who work in all areas of the food, beverage, and hospitality worlds. 
and come together to network, learn, and share their passion. Membership is only open once a year, every spring, so now is the time to join. The deadline is Friday, May 31st. Visit nywca.org for more details. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Brett Martin. He is a food critic and correspondent for GQ Magazine. And we're going to talk a bit about his best new restaurants in America list that came out very recently. So I I know the article started out with you in, in Houston, and you, you have two picks from there. Um Georgia, James, and Indigo. Uh, and I know Houston has this amazing dining scene. Um, so was it how, I mean, when, you, when you're going through, make, when you're picking restaurants, are you, are you trying not to get two in one city or that doesn't really matter? Um, I have, two have to be pretty great to do it. I mean, I, it, it's not unusual at all. I think there were actually two from Houston last year. Um, so wow. Houston has become a city that that is absolutely in that pantheon of of, um, of cities that is in, that I must go to and 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 often would have uh, more than one selection. Um, I think there's two in LA this year, two from New York. I think it's so, so, yeah, true. You know, the, the bar gets higher for sure um, once there's um, once there's one that I know is going to be on there. But I'm not too hesitant to to include two if, if if need be. Three would be hard. I don't think I've ever done three. Right. Yeah. No. You're uh, the, the, the case with these was what 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 made these two special. In, in addition to being wonderful on the, in their own right, it was the, the the perfect illustration they offered of of the extremes of dining in America today. Um, you know, as I say in the piece, I had them, you know, it was two nights in a row and it couldn't have been a more radically different experience between the two. And yet they both were places that I would enthusiastically recommend to anybody going to Houston. Right. And, and tell me about some of the other places you picked. You, you mentioned Richmond, you have Ale, Alewife, if I'm saying that right. Yeah. Yeah. Alewife was a, a um, a surprise to me. I, I, um, I hadn't heard that much about it and I just sort of, fell in love with the place uh it was it was freezing i I do this in the winter there are some people who have this beat that have the the (laughs) great good fortune of doing it in the summer or in the spring or any other time i i am out there um in what was now i mean when i was in madison it was minus 23 degrees um and that's just a different kind of i don't know i have to (laughs) places that are warm and, and 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 welcoming uh places to come in out of the cold tend to do well with me um but uh, but this is, is, is a seafood. It's one of my favorite cuisines. I really love the food of the of the Mid Atlantic and you know um, and and seafood from that area. And and this place just felt you know um, cozy and precise. And and um, I really I really loved it. Yeah. Well, I'm. I mean, a lot, most of the places on your list I haven't been to. I've been. I mean, you have you have Henry at the Life Hotel by JJ. I've been to in New York, but I'm I'm very interested and next time I go down to Miami because that's my hometown and I do get down there to try Cafe La Trova which I I knew about and I knew Michelle Bernstein was involved but I haven't been there yet so I was excited to see that major list yeah I I was uh, this was my first year in Miami actually it's a place I had missed unfortunately in, in past years um and um well it was warm this was this is just a, a great um great new place that's the first restaurant by Julio Cabrera, who's a, this legendary Cuban uh, bartender, really mentored a, a lot of bartenders who have gone down there and brought back um, some of the Cantonero tradition that exists in, in Cuba still. And he finally got to open his own place. It's on Calle Ocho. It's got incredible food by Michelle. Um, and it's this, you know, exuberant, it, it, it's the kind of place you'd think would be awful, sort of Disney-like. It, you walk in and it's like you're in a, a Cuban streetscape from the 1950s but somehow it really works um it's actually built like you're supposed to you know there's 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 a facade of a, of a fake building inside um that would be cheesy somehow it's not cheesy i don't know why but it's it's a it's a terrific place 
Oh, it's great to hear. No, I, w- I was very excited to see that that on your list. And I will be going next. I don't know when I'm going down to Miami, but I will go. I was I was want to know. Do you um, did you notice any trends overall with restaurants across the country as you were traveling around? I mean, the the the, the main thing that I you know I don't know if this is this doesn't count as the kind of trend that I think you know um, necessarily people think of, but I, I, I write in, in my essay, and, and I write my list in the form of this long essay uh, that tries to, to capture something about the dining scene. You know, I, I call them restaurants of derangement, um, which is to say that I think there's, we're in this really crazy schizophrenic moment as a country, and uh, not surprisingly, um, I think you're starting to see that reflected in, in, in our restaurants. There was this long period, I think, um, where uh, what people wanted from a restaurant was was comfort, you know, was was escape and comfort from from the the, the surreal uh, nature of, of the world, and either that or, or very explicitly kind of political. Um, I call them restaurants of resistance. Um, but I think now there's this kind of carnivalesque atmosphere in, in a lot of places. Um, this it, it's just it's really weird out there. Um, and I don't know if that's a trend, you know, what you mean by trend. But to me, that's that was the primary experience of eating this year was was to feel like I was uh, often at the carnival. Right. Well, um, no, it's it's a good answer. And I, I think I mean, well, you tell me, I mean, there's there has to be the, the cha- their challenges and also the joy of what you get to do as a living. I mean, I think people look at oh, you're a food critic and you travel around the country and you try all these restaurants. It just has to be all fantastic. But it also, it's hard, you know, it's it's hard to do, I would imagine. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not the kind of hard you want to complain too much. About. Right. It is, but it's hard. It's hard on my body. I'm older than I was when I started uh, and it's a lot of food. Um, and, you know, to a large degree, my um, ability to do it well depends on having an appetite, which is not always easy. Um it's uh, it's hard to maintain that enthusiasm night after night. Um, it's hard on my family. I've got two young children, as I mentioned. Um, it's very hard on my partner who takes care of them uh, while I'm on the road. Um, but um, but generally speaking, it's, yeah. a, it's the kind of hard you'd like to have. Right. When you're, I'm, you know, I do I, I'm all, on all my shows. I talk about solo dining experiences. I started thinking, are you going solo to a lot of these places since you're on your own, or? Do you meet up with friends? Like, how do you, how does that work? One of the great things about it is, uh, about the job, is it's an excuse to call people. First of all, it's an excuse to see my friends all over the country, you right. know, once a year, which is lovely. Um, it's an excuse to call people that I find interesting and uh, and want to take out to dinner. Um, but I eat approximately, I guess, one out of every three I'm alone. Okay. Um, and I, and certainly that's true of what love lunches. Um but even dinners, I'd say every third night. And, and, and what I've noticed after four years is that I actually, um, I find, I think that if you look back, the ratio of places that make it on the list actually um, that I have eaten alone at would probably be pretty high. Um, and I think it's because, you know, what, what I lose in the um, variety of dishes I'm allowed to order, um, uh, I gain in concentration, and the ability to kind of really be present in the in the um, in the place. I mean, the best thing that can happen is having a wonderful time with wonderful conversation and wonderful food, and we're all and 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 the whole place sort of clicks and comes together. But I actually really enjoy and find it. Um, uh, I really enjoy eating alone, and I really enjoy. Um, I find that that is reflected in the places I love. Um, you know, it is one of the exhaustions aside from the. the the intake of all this food is it, it, you wind up being a host every night for night after night for months, you know, for a couple of months. And, <laughs> right. and that's a lot of energy to, even with people you love or, or, or really want to see this, it's just a lot of outlay of, of energy just simply to simply to host dinner every night. I can relate to all of that and make sense and well said. So I have a question from you from my last episode, episode 214. Um, it's, my guest was August Cardona. He's the co-founder of Epicurean Group, which includes Lertusi, Amphora, and Del Anima. 
And if we, I think we have it on playback. Uh, I'll see a check with my engineer, Amanda. Can we play it back? So I was, I was thinking about um, how often friends of mine are just regular diners um, will read reviews of restaurants and then go to the restaurant because it got a, a, a high score or, you know, mm-hmm. and then and be disappointed um, and always ask, you know, I'm not sure I don't get it. And a lot of the times if I know the restaurant and I know the person and I, I realize they're just it's a miscommunication kind of a situation. They, they just are looking at something um, with a, a high rating, a good rating as positive. Or they heard it got a good review. They don't know what that means necessarily. Um, or they read the view and, um, and then they're disappointed because they're expecting something different or they're not sure. So I guess my question to Doug is how, how much of, uh, or, uh, his Brett, Brett yeah. sorry, that's okay. how much of his, like what, how much does he take into consideration his audience in, in terms of who he's writing a critique for per se, right? Like, and do they, ever, does he ever, do they ever like. Uh, think about um, more specifically getting into if you are you know this type of person and I don't know how you can say it necessarily but like uh, if you're a chef you'll enjoy this restaurant because of xyz if you're you know looking for this I just don't find that that reviews often um, will talk about the restaurant the food or the service or but it won't necessarily uh, I don't know go into who they're writing it for because right it's it's not yeah so people um the whole point of a of a review is to let certain people know about the restaurant and i think oftentimes people are disappointed because of a positive review but is the critic really writing for do they are they writing for a chef that they know is going to come in there and think it's good or another industry person or the general masses or an intelligent diner and uh and i don't know has he ever thought about 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 how yeah. his a review will be received in that way yeah so brett that's for you that's yeah. that's okay. it's a long it's a long question <laughs> that's okay no that's fine um yeah i mean uh I have a long answer, and I don't know that you wanted a long answer. I mean, the, 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 the main thing I would say is that I, I wouldn't necessarily agree that the whole point of a review is to tell people whether to eat there or not. Um, I believe that restaurant writing, and particularly the, the restaurant writing that I have the luxury of doing at a, at a national magazine that isn't um, – you know, does, is it, I don't have to be as concerned with the sort of customer service aspect, uh, the whether you should go there aspect. Um, I, I think that restaurant writing can be, uh, to a large extent, um, like any other kind of arts writing. Um, you know, there's 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 movie, there's film criticism. Obviously, that's whether you should go spend your eight fifty. I, I don't know what a movie costs now. I don't go to the movies, but but um, you it's know, more than that. I think on a, on a movie. <laughs> Uh, or not. Uh, there's a thumbs up and thumbs down school of film criticism, but then there's also film criticism that's that's um, an art in itself and, and about art. And and I don't want to sound pretentious about it. I, I think I I recommend all the restaurants that I include on my list. Um, and I really really lean into as as I think I've tried to make clear the ways in which it's a subjective account of 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 my experience there and what i loved and the ways in which it tells a story about uh american dining and about about where we are um but i don't get too caught up in in wondering whether it's not yelp i mean and i think there's a place for yelp um but um but I do think that it's it's. It, I think that um, just li- just as um, I think food writers have have found themselves writing about um, labor and race and and, and gender and um, and all kinds of issues well beyond you know is this plate worth your your money? Um, I think treating treating this kind of writing as a kind of arts criticism, uh, apart from uh, consumer recommendations, is is also valid and and, and it's what I want to do. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. And it's a great answer. And yes, uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm glad he asked it. And I'm, gl- I'm glad we got your response. So right. 
that's not to say that I don't. As I say, I recommend these places, and I, and I talk about value. I mean, I think that's part yeah. of the equation, but I don't think I don't think it's all of the equation. Right. I, don't th- I think that's that's the best argument for for actually having um, experienced critics in the era of TripAdvisor and Yelp, um, yeah. and and maintaining an author like like I like to think I am. Yeah. Well, you are you, and you're you know the piece which which so people know the the restaurants. Uh, the best restaurant issue is the May issue. You have a 10 page spread. You have a lot of words and, and it's in very well written and you told the story behind all the places. So it's definitely worth reading about. And, and uh, I don't know. I, yeah, it was more, it's more than just a list. Um, I found. So, um, yeah, I recommend it to people. Okay. So oh, thank you. you're welcome. Um, Let's go right into, let's skip a break and just go right into my speed round game because we're a little, little behind on time here and you're on the phone. So this just will work well, I think. So what it is, um, my speed round game is as I'm going to name a couple things and you just get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Are you ready? Uh, Vanilla, yes. Vanilla, (laughs) Vanilla, you're a vanilla guy. That's just just a... That that was the tester, but you you got it. (laughs) Okay. I understand how it goes now. All right. So here here we go. Eat in or eat out? Um, You know, I'm going to go right down the middle. Right down the middle. I... But but I know, but not delivery. I don't. I haven't ordered delivery in in, in many many years. So eat in cooking or or eat out. But no delivery. That is a first for this show. I love it. Okay, how about wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Cocktail. Tasting menu or a la carte. Uh, um, I, I, a la carte if I have to choose, but I'm glad both exist. Okay. How about small plates or large plates? Large. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Don't care, really. Actually, that isn't a first for the show, but I, I, I like, I love hearing these answers. Okay, don't care. Okay, a few more. Writing books or writing articles? Oh, um, I would like to have written more books, but I prefer writing articles. How about carry-on bag or a checked bag? All this travel you do. Only carry-on. Oh, I had a feeling you were going to say that. Cheese plate or dessert? Uh, that's hard because I prefer cheese plate, but my body prefers uh, less dairy. So, um, But I'd <laughs> say cheese plate in a perfect world. Got it. Last one is Manhattan, Brooklyn, or New Orleans. Uh, you're going to get me in trouble with my family. Uh, you know, I um, I will have to say, you know, I will by by I'll have to say New Orleans. <laughs> I love New Orleans, so that's uh, yeah, um, that's fair. I I mean, it's a game that no one was, no one at least, none of my re- my listeners would. Um, been upset if you pick something else. I don't think. I see, but, but I get visiting privileges. The, per- the perfect right. way to, to live in New York yes. is to live in New Orleans and go to New York. True. Well, so that's the game. And uh, right. before I let you go, I want to see if you can ask a question for my next guest. So I'm having on Pascaline Lepeltier. I hope that's how she pronounced it. I will find out next week. She is an award-winning master sommelier and the managing partner at Racines in New York. She's gotten a lot of accolades recently. She's she's really a fantastic psalm. Uh, so, Brett, what would you like to ask Pascaline? I would like uh, to ask Pascaline. I know Pascaline was also a philosophy uh, student, and I would like to know which philosopher she would most like to drink with and uh, and not just to meet, but also who would be a really good drinker. Great. I love it. I will find out. So thank you sure. so much. I, I'm really thrilled that you were able to, to come on my show today. And I'm excited about your list and just reading all your articles and books or whatever else you have coming out. And if you ever need a dining companion when you're in New York, let me know because I don't have to I dine do solo. That. 
I often do. So thank you so much. This has been really fun. Ah, uh, thank you. Um, so we're going to take another break here, and we're going to come back, and we're going to get Dila on the phone. So uh, stay with us, and uh, bye, Brett. Thank you. Bye-bye. enjoying this podcast and you know heritage radio network has thousands more hi my name is linda palaccio and i'm the host on a taste of the past here on hrn join us on a weekly journey through culinary history where we explore the when where what and why of food throughout history you can find a taste of the past wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it's time for me to introduce my second guest today. It is Dila Allen. She is the Executive Director and event of Event Marketing for Food & Wine. She directs the Food & Wine Classic in Aspen, which this year is going to be having its 37th annual classic, which is taking place June 14th through 16th. In her role, Dila oversees all aspects of the premier culinary event of its kind, including programming and related content, talent coordination, marketing and promotion, ticket sales, sponsorship, and more. So, hello. Welcome to the show. Are you there? Hi, Sherry. Hi. Thanks for calling in. Sorry we're running a little late today. (laughs) No problem. Uh, How are you? I'm really good. It's busy this time of year, but all is well. I imagine. I mean, I just from knowing you and knowing a bit about the classic, I think this is this is your your busiest time, I I'm assuming. <laughs> Very true. I mean, one month from now we'll be in Aspen. Right. Well, you know, Hunter Lewis came on my show recently and sort of planted that seed of are you going to be going back to the classic and what do you know? I'm going back. <laughs> We're thrilled to have you. I'm so excited. So, so let's 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 go back to a bit so people who don't know so much about uh, the the classic in Aspen of of how it started and and also how long have you been producing it? So I've been at Food and Wine for 15 years, um, and I've had the honor of working on the classic for the last 10 years. Um, the, the classic is celebrating its 37th year this year, so it has a very long history in the culinary community, and it really is the most fun time of year for for food and wine. Well, having been, I think this is going to be my seventh time going, and it's it's just a happy place. It's so well executed. The programming's amazing, and I always think it's the creme de la creme of events, um, just my own experience. Yeah. It's, it's always, it's always so perfectly executed, or at least it feels that way as someone attending it. Um, I don't know behind the scenes if, if if what's happening, but you definitely make it seem (laughs) like it's seamless. 
Well, that's so nice to hear. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So how, so you work on this, how big is your, how big is your team? How, and are you working on it all year long or is it, is it really more of a, you know, partial of the year project? Yeah, we work on the event all year round. Um, we have a relatively small team here in New York, but we also have a team on the ground in Aspen, and we also have the contributions of the whole food and wine staff, as well as um, several consulting teams that support us. Um, plus, in Aspen, we also work very closely with the Aspen Chamber Resort Association. They're our producing partner on the event and work very closely with all the local businesses. And then also, once we get on site, we have a core of local volunteers who help pull it all off during the weekend. Yeah, a lot of coordination, <laughs> a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's what's new for 2019 or any any talent or chefs that are coming this year that you're particularly excited about? Yes, yeah, so we've got some new talent this year. On the wine side, we have um, David Peck and Jude Rodell that will be joining us. And then for cooking demonstrations, we have Martha Stewart, J.J. Johnson, and Ruth Reichel, who will be doing a Q&A with our editor in Hunter Lewis, which we're very excited about. She'll be talking about her new book and all the exciting things that she has going on. And then on the event side, we have um, a new series of dinners that we're hosting, and they're collaboration dinners between some spectacular chefs. Uh, Rick Bayless will be cooking with Jason Vincent, two amazing chefs from Chicago. Andrew Carmelini will be cooking with Kate Williams, who's a chef from Detroit. And then Jonathan Waxman will be doing a pop-up of Barbudo, so as we know, the beloved Barbudo restaurant will be closing at the end of May. And right. so we're going to be excited to bring it back to life at the Food and White Classic in Aspen on Saturday night for one night only. Yes, I could think, I think that would be an instant hit. People love Barbudo. <laughs> and then the other thing we have going on this year that we're really excited about is we have a new charity partner. Um, we've worked with the Wholesome Wave Foundation for years, and we'll continue to do so, but we're also supporting the Jackson Penn Foundation as a charity um, beneficiary of the classic this year. Oh, nice. That's great. And you also have the trade program, which is, I have to say, it's always been one of my favorite parts because I, uh, as an industry person, are you, are you, how involved are you with, with that part of the 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 classic we work very closely with the american express restaurant trade program we work hand in hand with them on um, their planning process they're really a true partner of food and wine and they do they've done such an incredible job of building this into into an incredible valuable industry event this is their 30th anniversary um, so they've been a very long-standing partner of ours and some of the topics that they're covering this year are um, inclusion and hospitality's moment to lead, and then the future of the restaurant industry, among other topics. Yeah, that's that's great. It's it's pretty impressive that they have their thirtieth year coming up, and you're the whole classic at the thirty seventh. It's a long, <laughs> long run, really. That's right. So are tickets still available for people if anyone wants to, to book a flight to Aspen and see me there? <laughs> yes, there are. There's still a select number of weekend passes available for the restaurant trade program as well as for the consumer audience. Um, we also have a small number of tickets left for some of the evening events, including the, the dinners I spoke about earlier. And we also have a walk-around tasting that features all 10 of Food & Wine's restaurants year. Um, we also host a Celebrity Chef 5K Run on Friday morning, which is a great way to start the weekend of eating and drinking with a gorgeous run through the city streets and parks of Aspen. So there's lots of ways for people to get involved, and um, tickets are still available on our website. Awesome. So it's it's just to go to foodandwine.com? And... Yep, foodandwine.com okay. backslash classic. Fabulous. Well... I, I'm so I'm so impressed with the whole event. I love it. And um, yeah, you and your team, 
fantastic. And I, I can't wait to see you in the happy place called Aspen. <laughs> That's right. We'll raise a glass together and, and have a toast in the mountains in, in a month. Yes, yes. Well, good luck with the the rest of your planning, because um, I know I know now's now's crunch time. <laughs> That's right. So, th- and thank you so much for calling calling in today and and chatting with me. Um, it's it's great to hear your voice, and uh, I'll see you I'll see you soon. Thanks so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Dila. Thanks, Sherry. Okay, so we're gonna take one more break. We're gonna come back, and I'll do my solo dining experience. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it's time for my solo dining experience. This week, it's at Oxalis. Here's the rundown. The location, 791 Washington Avenue, Prospect Heights, Brooklyn, New York. The concept, a neighborhood bistro highlighting seasonal produce and thoughtfully created products. The name refers to a type of flowering plants. The executive chef is Nico Russell, formerly of Restaurant Danielle, and he also worked at Mirazur. So why did I go? Because I heard great things about this place. So my experience, I booked a reservation for one. It was on a Wednesday back in April, one night after my show. I went out to Prospect Heights, and I found myself at a two-top in the restaurant that was literally right next to the window pass where the chef was, And so I got the pleasure of meeting him right away, and he actually served me most of my dishes because it was almost like I was dining in his home. It was it was it was cool. Service was very warm and friendly, and I had a great time. What did I get? So in the dining room, they offer a tasting menu of six courses that changes nightly. You can also order a la carte if you sit at the bar room in the back. But a part of my tasting menu, there were. I mean, this. there were six courses, and then the chef also sent me out a couple of extra, which was super nice of him. But some of them, some of the highlights were white asparagus uni, sunflower greens, and oxalis. There was a course of grilled beef with um, parsley and spring greens. And there was, for dessert, caramelized white chocolate, Meyer lemon, and spruce. My take, I really loved everything. It was... It was very flavorful, nothing, and it wasn't too filling for a tasting menu. I, I left feeling feeling good and comfortable, and there were beautiful presentations, and I, I really enjoyed everything. The ambiance. It's a minimalistic, relaxed dining room. It has a narrow, open kitchen up front that you pass through when you, when you enter the restaurant, so you'll see the chefs on the line. I'd say it's perfect for going solo or date night. Interesting tidbit, Oxalis began as a pop-up concept before Chef Nico found a permanent space, and the restaurant received a nice one-star review in the New York Times in late February. Personal fun fact, so I ran into Chef and his team at the No Kid Hungry Taste of the Nation event later in the month in April, which is great. The cost of my meal was $60, that's not including tax or gratuity, so it's a, it's a really good deal, I would say, for the amount of food and experience that you're getting. Would I go back? Yes, I would, even though I don't get out to that part of Brooklyn that often, but um, I would definitely go back. Their website is oxalisnyc.com. So that is the show. As I told you at the beginning, I mixed up the order a bit, but uh, hey, we got through it, and I'm very thankful for both of my guests who called in today. They were Brett Martin. He's the food critic and correspondent for GQ magazine. You can see his best new restaurant list on their website, GQ.com. And you can also go to Brett's personal website at BrettMartin.org and follow him. He's mostly on Twitter at Brett Martin. And my second guest was Dila Allen. She's the executive director 
of event marketing for Food and Wine magazine. Their website's foodandwine.com. And on Instagram, she's at Dila and at Food and Wine. And the hashtag for the upcoming Food and Wine Classic is FW Classic. And uh, that's coming up soon. So maybe I'll see you in the mountains. Should be fun. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. You can subscribe to my show, and you can also leave reviews on any of these sites. So I'd love to get some feedback. Thanks to my amazing engineer today, Amanda, for... Uh, organizing that whole show it was we got through it it was great and uh thanks again to brett and dila i'll be back next week with another live show i hope you'll tune in then i'm sherry bayer thank you for being part of all in the industry bye Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebrations happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.